Amen. Well, church, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. If you would uh, like to use the outline in your bulletin, that is a teaching from 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. I guess you're welcome to, but I'm not going to be preaching from that today. So that will make it kind of difficult for you. Uh, I have felt the Lord lead me in another direction for this morning. And so for those of you who love flexibility, then you're going to love that. And those of you who have a personality like mine that want to keep your ducks in a row, you can be uncomfortable like me and say, God, we'd rather be uncomfortable with you than feel in, uh, in line with what we had originally thought. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. But before we get into Acts 4, I want to set a little bit of the scene of what's been happening before this passage. As you remember from reading through the New Testament just a number of weeks ago, in Acts chapter 1, we find Jesus giving the command for the disciples to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you like to wait. I don't like to wait very much. But Jesus gave the command to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We find in Acts chapter 2, there is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We read of Pentecost, and there the Holy Spirit falls on them. And as a result of the Holy Spirit's power, a crowd is drawn, and Peter preaches a sermon spontaneously. And after that sermon, 3,000 people are added to their number that day. They are converted to follow Jesus, and they are baptized. We find that after Acts chapter Three, we also, or Acts chapter 2, we find Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple, and they see a man who is lame. He's there begging, and he's been lame from birth, and by the Holy Spirit's power, he gives them faith and boldness to speak healing to this man. This man stands up, and he walks, he is healed, and he is dancing around the temple courts, and this miraculous healing draws another crowd, and the religious leaders at this point have had enough. And they want to stop this. They want to put an end to it. They want to bust it up. This morning we're going to read of this first resistance, opposition to the early church. The first encounter that the church had was favor with people when they met in that upper room and the Holy Spirit poured out and and the people responded and 3,000 came and the Lord was adding to their number daily. And now this first opposition, certainly not the last, but the first We'll read about. Take your Bibles and read in your mind with me as I read aloud. Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, uh, we see here that the Sadducees, they are... Um, some of the main source of opposition for the early church in the book of Acts. And Now Jesus, when he was on earth in his ministry, it wasn't the Sadducees, but who was the main source of opposition in Jesus' ministry? It wasn't the Sadducees, but it was who? The Pharisees, that's right. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, though, had some similarities. There's a few differences, and, and one it would be important to note, the Pharisees, they were the extremely conservative, ultra-conservative, and absolutely ultra-hyper-legalistic. But the Sadducees, those who are in opposition here at this point, they are the ones, they're a little bit more liberal. And their big beef with what's going on is they don't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and and they didn't believe in spirits, and they didn't believe in a spirit world or in angels. And 
And so they were not very excited about them preaching about Jesus and proclaiming the supernatural healings that took place. They were politically minded and, and they wanted to just get along with Rome. And they were living out a mantra, don't rock the boat, let's just be calm. Now these are the leaders who were opposing the early church and they didn't like this preaching of Jesus they didn't like anything supernatural. Let's read on in chapter, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So they're thrown in prison, and even though they tried to lock them up, 2,000 more men accepted the way of Jesus and joined the cause. They didn't like it. There wasn't much that they could do about it. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the other men of the high priest family. Now you see, uh, there was 70 or 71 in the Sanhedrin in this collection of religious leaders. And what they would do is they would sit or stand in a semicircle. And the one who was the lead prosecutor would stand out in the middle. And those one who was on trial would stand there in front. It was a very intimidating picture. They all were literally ganging up physically around them and circling the one. So no matter where they looked, there was somebody looking down their nose at them. And, and that's where we pick up here in this next verse, verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? You see, they, they couldn't deny that something was happening and, and, and they didn't like that supernatural power, but they wanted to catch them in some kind of a trap. And so, by what name are you doing this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. If you underline in your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline that. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed. In other words, he's saying, guys, you, you mean that you are accusing us of being kind to this crippled man? Well, we're here today not because we killed somebody, not because we hurt somebody, not because we stole from somebody, not because we were mean to somebody, but you're, you're putting us on trial because we, we were kind and we blessed this man? Let me get this straight. That's what you're accusing us of? Now look at verse 10. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. What boldness, what courage. They're standing there in front of the semicircle of 70-some religious leaders who are tenaciously after them. And they had great reason to back down and to be tempted to give gospel light. But no, with boldness they said, hey, know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This man stands before you healed. In other words, they're saying, it's not us. It's by the power of God, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, and you are the ones who killed him. It's by that power who did this. That's a good example of a good minister of the gospel. A good minister of the gospel never lifts up themselves. A good follower of Jesus never points to themselves. They didn't point to them. They didn't point to their church. They didn't point to their denomination. They didn't point to their methods. They didn't point to their own gifts. They pointed to Jesus. 
They said, you want to know how this happened? You want to know what's been going on? It's in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of God who raised him from the dead. Look at verse 11 and 12. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Verse 12 is important. Don't miss this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. They are driving it home in the face of opposition. They are proclaiming the full gospel and very boldly. There's no other way. Temptation right here, if they would have followed the, the PR crew and, and their handlers, they, they would have had a, a good opportunity to say, you know what? The church is being built. We're having thousands of people come to us uh, in droves. And, and you know what? These people kind of believe in God a little bit. This is not the time to really put salt in the wound and say, hey, it's only in Jesus that there's salvation. It's not time to put salt in the wound and say, the Jesus that you killed. That's the power in which we are working under. But they proclaimed the full gospel. Now look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that part. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They were ordinary and unschooled. They could not believe their courage. They weren't so amazed at how courageous they were. They said, where does this come from? They took note that they had been with Jesus. These were fishermen. They weren't polished preachers. They didn't have any religious degree from some institution or school. They were not eloquent. They were not well organized. They didn't have a good strategy. They were losers in the eyes of the world. How many people love it that God loves to use losers in the eyes of the world to get his work done? Does that encourage anybody else? That encourages me. Now, now check this out. Before we get so excited that Peter and John were just this spiritual elite, though the world saw them as losers, they were just some amazing spiritual giants. It, it was about two months earlier that Peter denied Christ. Two months ago, when he was in a situation, he couldn't even be identified with Jesus. He was such a coward. And then now, after he obeyed, he waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And now, in the Holy Spirit's power and direction, he is boldly proclaiming the gospel. It's because they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They were ordinary and unschooled men. The Sanhedrin, all of them, in their 70 plus degrees and PhDs of, of professional religiosity, looked down their nose at them as if to say, you don't have anything to teach us. Who are you to speak to us? Let me remind you just by the way we position ourselves how small you are. And they stand with even greater boldness and they proclaim the full gospel. And they didn't know what to do about it. All they could say is these men had been with Jesus. Let's finish this passage. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. They were embarrassed. They said, get him out of the room so we can talk freely amongst ourselves. We don't know what to do with these guys. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. 
But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They couldn't even bring themselves to say it. They just can't do this anymore. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you over God. In essence, he's saying, you guys believe in God. The God who is the one true God has commanded us to preach this gospel. So you decide for yourself. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? And then look at verse 20. For we cannot help but speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. But the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at three groups of people we find in this passage. It's a good thing to do when we're reading scripture is to begin to step back and and look and see who is involved there. We definitely see the lame man who was healed, but he's kind of dancing around and he's off celebrating. We see the crowds who have gathered around and, and they are worshiping Jesus. But the three I want us to key in on this morning is the opposition, those Sadducees. I want us to look at the disciples and I want us to look at God, what he's up to. In this passage. First is the opposition. The first opposition against the church was religious. These aren't Romans. It wasn't this heathen world out there. No, it was the religious people who attacked the gospel of Jesus Christ first. This is pretty interesting. And there's others who come along later who will come against the gospel. But it starts with the church crowd. It starts with the religious. This should be a warning light for us, friends. It should remind us how twisted religion can be. Friend, you can be religious and you can be closed to the things of Jesus. You could be standing and claiming scripture, but you could be closed to what Jesus Christ wants to do in your life. You could be against uh, the things of Jesus and you could even be defending it by your twisting of the scriptures. You can be religious and be totally lost. You can be religious and totally blind. You can be religious and wrong. And defending your wrong stance from your twisted view of Scripture. That's what's happening in this passage. That's exactly what the Sadducees were doing. Friend, I don't want to be religious and wrong. I don't want to be religious. I want to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a New Testament Christian. Now what else do we see happening here? It wasn't just that they were religious and they were against something new. They were anti-supernatural. You may have been in this place. You may be in this place today. You may know someone who's in this place. It's the person who says, you know what, I'm okay with religion. I'm okay with church. But you talk about God supernaturally healing someone in an instant. You talk about God supernaturally delivering somebody in an instant. You talk about God instantly saving somebody from their sins. And i got a problem with that. It's this pushback on supernatural. It's this pushback to say, I don't know if I really believe in that realm or that world. That's where they were. That's what's happening here. That's who this opposition was. This mind, this person often says, I want a safe, nice, conservative religion. One that is reserved and one that doesn't stretch me too much. You know they're there when you say, you know what, if anything is out of my comfort zone, I'm going to reject it. Not because it's not of God, but I'm going to reject it because it's not in my comfort zone. That's who the Sadducees were. That's the opposition that came against the gospel. Friend, they were locked up 
Locked up in their religious spirit and their prejudice. They were locked up in their doctrinal systems. They were locked up in their comfort zones. Just like we can get locked up. Don't you think that God could do so much more through us if we weren't so locked up? Don't you think we could reach the world better if we weren't so locked in religion? I want to ask you this morning, are you expecting God to do anything out of the ordinary? When you walked into church this morning, did you expect God to show up? Did you expect God to speak to you? Did you expect God to do something? When you walk out of here today, will you expect the living God, the one who speaks and creation happens, do you expect that God to talk to you this week? Do you expect Him to be with you at work, to be with you at school, to be at the house, to be with you when you're in the neighborhood? Do you expect God to be with you? I'm not talking about an arrogant, brash expectation. I mean one that has faith and sees that that God is still moving. Is that real in your life? Or have we been lulled into a religion of comfortableness? Are we surprised when His manifest presence, His presence that is visible, shows up among us? Oh, church. We have departed so far from this. We have made the things that are normal seem so abnormal. And we've made the things that are abnormal seem so normal. The things that are are normal in Scripture seem so strange to us in church today. And the things that should seem strange to us and abnormal that are not in Scripture, we act like it should happen all the time in church. Pastor Brady, what are you talking about? We come in church and and we say, you know what, I'm not sure if God really speaks to me like that anymore. And that that may be something that happened a long time ago, but I don't expect to hear from God today. I mean, it just didn't happen every week. I don't hear from God every week. Uh, It's not really a common thing for us to see somebody come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I mean, like, not every week. I mean, maybe a couple times on, you know, a certain special day or something. But that's not normal for us. It's not a a normal thing that we see people who are healed physically, healed emotionally, healed spiritually. Church, when have we become so accustomed and so comfortable with things that are not normal in Scripture? I believe with all my heart that God wrote this book and everything in here is absolutely true. And this is not a book of exceptions that happened one time and it was just something for a long time ago. But this is a book of examples of how he wants to move and work right now. You know what? I want to let you know, this is, this is what God wants to do in your life today. Friend, if you've been coming to Grace Point for 75 years, or if you've been coming to Grace Point for 70 minutes, this is true for you. This is not something that's just for Peter and John. This is not something that's just for people who have gold stars on their church attendance. Peter would have had a failing grade 60 days before he denied Christ. And now he's the focus of the tool being used to build a church. This is for you. This is for me. This opposition. They were so far from what God was wanting to do fresh and new. They were clinging to their comfort zone with everything in them. Friend, I want to declare to you today that God can do the impossible. There is nothing too hard for God to do. Now, notice... They go from physical healing. I believe with all my heart God can heal someone physically. But they move from physical healing, as good as that is. Unless you and I are here when Jesus comes, and and more and more I'm convinced that may be happening soon. But unless that happens, we're all going to die. 
Isn't that encouraged? Aren't you glad you came to church? You're going to die. I'm blessed. If God heals you of whatever ails you right now, you're most likely going to die. So physical healing has some value. But then they begin to talk about salvation and spiritual healing that has eternal value. And now the Sanhedrin doesn't know what to do with that. because But now their claims are outrageous. And this outrageous gospel is real and it is the very core of who we are as the church. The opposition did not believe that God could work like that or would work like that. Friend, he can change any life. Any person you know, Jesus can change them. There's nothing too hard for God. We're not like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness where they need a couple years to indoctrinate you and to brainwash you and then show them some change. We believe God can bring change in an instant. You can be born again in a moment. You can be set free from a carnal attitude in a moment. Now, that's just the beginning. We keep growing, yes, but God can move right now. God is moving in the early church, and God wants to move in His church still today. The opposition didn't believe it. They didn't like it. Peter and John were saying, I, I know you don't want to hear this. I know you don't believe in supernatural. I know you want to control this, but you can't. But this is by the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is real. I've got to tell you what's in my heart. Amen. Now let's look at what the disciples were doing. That's the opposition. They didn't like this. The disciples, they were boldly proclaiming Jesus. They didn't preach church structure. They didn't preach how to look trendy to a watching world. They didn't preach, keep working at it and do better and do better and someday you'll achieve it. They didn't preach some sideline doctrinal idea that would distinguish them from someone else. They preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him raised from the dead. They preached repentance. They preached that Jesus can forgive from sins and God used that gospel message and changed people in an instant. That's what the disciples were preaching. They preached that there was sin, that Jesus died for sin. They called them out on it. Standing there in the semicircle of all these 70-plus religious PhDs looking down their nose at them with all the authority of the community, and they had the audacity, not out of arrogance, not out of anger, not even out of their own strength, but the boldness from the Holy Spirit to say, it's by the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Remember the one that you crucified. Your sin. He wants to save you. Those who killed Jesus, you're responsible. He loves you. Now, now again, the handlers for Peter and John, the, the PR group, the social media crowd, would have said, ease up there a little bit. Okay? We'll, we'll give them the full dose. Let's just get them in and, and help them like the cause for a little bit. And we're up to 5,000 now. Let's wait till we're 10,000 to tell them the whole deal. They said, forget this. We're telling them the whole thing. Because the good news is only good if you know how bad you are. Well, that didn't go over well with people. You know what? It's not up to me what goes over well with people. Because the gospel works. The gospel is powerful. This is not up for negotiation. This was a command. Jesus said, wait and my spirit will fill you. And then go and preach everything that I have commanded to you. Not the ones that kind of fit. Kids are in the other room, right? We're working at home with Caden on the word obey. And when we say it's time to obey mom and dad, this is not a suggestion. Now, sometimes we give some suggestions, but when we say obey, we mean like do it now. 
Not like 10 minutes from now. And we get that with our kids. But when Jesus gives us a command, so many times we take it as a suggestion. Well, well thank you, God. I know you're, you want me to wait on you and, and kind of sit in your presence. That's kind of a good thought, but I'm busy today. He said, I'm commanding you, wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you. How long should your quiet time be in the morning? I don't know. How long until you feel God's presence? I don't want to get to my appointment until I have God with me. Moses says in in Exodus 33, don't send me without you, God. I don't want to go. I I need you with me. And And then God says, I'll go with you. And Moses is so desperate, he says, God, if you don't go with me. He already said, I'm going with you. If you don't go with me, I'm sunk. How convinced are you that you need the power of God in your life? Peter and John got it. They saw it. The disciples knew that they needed God. They preached this amazing love that was counter the culture they were looking squarely in the eyes. They didn't preach just add Jesus to your portfolio. They didn't preach just add Jesus to your Facebook profile as some kind of religious view. They said this will cost you everything, but it is worth your life. They didn't preach this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, flannel-board Jesus, this American dream Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. It's the Jesus that we have created here in Western culture that says he loves you and loves you and loves you so much that he wants you to be comfortable and have everything that you could ever hope and dream and imagine, and he loves you so much he'll never ask you to do anything. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, made-up Jesus that we want. But they preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. They preached the real gospel, the full gospel. Such love, such wondrous love that God should love a sinner such as I. If I don't see my sin and light of who God is, there's no way for me to understand how much love he has for me. Well, Brady, that is so out of date. That is so out of touch. You know what? I I have given parts, chunks of my life, years of my life to trying to be in touch and to try to to help the gospel. You know what I found? I am unschooled. I am ordinary. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is stinky. It has nothing. But when we allow God to be God and allow us to be the cracked pots that we are, the vessels of clay that are shattered and broken and let him ease and and seep out of every crevice of who we are it's amazing to see what god does they proclaimed not only the full gospel but the supernatural resurrection in jesus christ now they were proclaiming that jesus is the only way this is what the disciples were doing now don't miss this we like to hear this in church we like to hear that jesus is the only way i think partially because there's something in us that makes us feel good about our choice of religion It's kind of like, we got proof that being a Christian is better than being a Hindu. I knew I was number one. I got proof that being a Christian is better than being in the New Age or better than being a Muslim or whatever it may be. And this is true. There is only one way to God, and it's Jesus Christ. But but I think we miss the whole point that there's only one way. We love to say there's one way for your sins to be forgiven, that Jesus is the answer for your sins, but we go out and live as if we are the answer for our life. Peter and John said, there is one answer. There is one way, and it is Jesus. He's the answer for my sin. He's the answer for my illness. He's the answer for my life. He's the answer for my relationships. He's the answer for my business. He's the answer for every challenge I have. So he gives me everything I want. He gives us everything we need. When he is Lord, he moves. See, well, Pastor Brady, you're kind of yelling a little bit today. You're kind of... You're kind of getting hyped up and over the edge. and Hallelujah. 
I, uh, I don't want you to feel I'm yelling at you. Because I'm not. But I had to preach this to myself Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I didn't think I was going to be able to take it another time on Saturday. And friend, I'm preaching it at myself. We need God and the full power of His gospel. And it's time for us to stop saying we need Jesus and something else. There are generations missing from the church. And it's not because church has become boring. And and understand me, a lot of church is boring. But that's not why they're gone. Because we could try to make church exciting and they would come as long as it excited them. But generations and there's mass exodus out of the church of Jesus Christ across the globe because we have not invited God back into church. We're not depending on God. And once God stops transforming our hearts and lives, then why do we meet? You've got better things to do with your week. You've got better places to use your gas money. You've got better places to invest your resources. But if God is alive, He is active, He is transforming lives, then there is a draw. The Holy Spirit woos them to you. They preached Jesus was the only way. I'm not done, but we're coming quickly to the end of our time. Look at verse 20 and 13. They said, we can't help speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. And they took note that they've been with Jesus. At this point, it's good for us to ask, what are the things that we can't help but speak about? What are the people around us taking note who we've been with? Is there anybody who would say, you've you've been with Jesus? That's what we saw the opposition had and what the disciples did. What's God doing in this passage? As we see what God is doing in this passage of Scripture, we find that even though there is an extremely negative environment, God is building His church. Somebody here needs to know today that your circumstances are negative. They're challenging. They're hard. There's a mountain. And you say, Pastor, this is not the time. God can't do anything here. When things are at its worst, God does His best. Peter and John, they could have said, I can't, I'm in prison. I preach the gospel boldly and I'm locked up in jail. He never said I was going to be in jail. Oh, yeah, he did. He said, you will be persecuted. Blessed is the man who's persecuted for, for being identified with me, for proclaiming in me. He said, not only could it happen, it will happen. But you see, this is not a gospel that says, I get everything I want. It's a gospel that says, he's going to do everything he wants to do. And when I link arms with the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it's better than any other adventure in your life. Somebody here today needs to know that God is building his church in spite of what is happening in your life. God wants to work in your situation no matter what that mountain is. As we close this morning... I just want to ask us a couple questions. God is at work when He built His church in the New Testament. He's at work today building His church. We heard about this in Cali, Columbia last week all around the world. It doesn't matter what government or what society comes against it. His gospel will move forward. But I want to ask you, why not here? Why not in Grace Point? Why not in your little church, your family? Why not in our church? Why not you and why not me and why not right now? Well, Pastor, hold on. I've got a lot of stuff going on. You know what? The tougher things are in your situation, the more God is at work behind the scenes. But the challenge for us is will we obey? Will we wait 
on the Holy Spirit, on the Lord. Some of us, I'm convinced that so many evangelistic efforts have fallen flat on their face because we've tried to send people out to give a reason for the hope that they have and they had not spent any time with Jesus. There's people in this room that, that you are saved, you've given God your sin, you are sanctified, you've given God yourself, but it has been uh, a decade since you've spent time with Jesus, since you've been with Jesus. I'm not condemning you, I'm just telling you what you and I know. I don't know who you are, God didn't tell me that, he didn't do that stuff with me, maybe someone else. I'm sorry, if, it, if I'm looking at you, it's an accident, I'm just looking at everybody, okay? What if you'd spend time with Jesus today? It's out of an overflow of what Jesus did in their heart that they spoke with boldness. I love that God used Peter. The chopping off ear, messed up, get both feet in his mouth and wonder why he couldn't talk guy. I like him. I can identify with him. But even that guy who waits on God and is filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches with boldness. There's somebody else here today that you've been waiting on God. You've seen Jesus, but you are afraid to let his boldness come through. Well, what if I offend somebody? You know what? It's not your job to to help convince them. God is bigger than you. If you haven't figured it out today, God is bigger than you. God is stronger than you. He created them, and he will draw them to himself. He's looking for somebody to boldly say, there's hope. You have crucified Jesus with your actions, but he wants to love you with his life. It's not just about being a part of some army recruit. You and I were wired in our DNA to be a part of building our little church and his big church. And I just want to give us an opportunity, for those who want, to just wait on God. For some... It's a renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was Pentecost, remember? Acts chapter 4, verse 31, the same people. They didn't backslide. They didn't lose it. They had a renewal of the Holy Spirit. It says they were all filled. Circle that. All filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody needs a renewal of the Holy Spirit. God, I need to wait on you again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit again. There's somebody here today that salvation could come to your house. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I think this is okay. No one told me I couldn't do it first service, so we'll find out. I want to open up the altar, and if you want to come and pray and just wait on God and say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to fill me. God, I need you to give me boldness. God, I need you to draw me to yourself again. I want you to do that and come to the altar here in a minute. Maybe you want to sit at your seat and you want to lift your hand in praise. You may want to lift your voice in song, but, but I'm going to come to the altar. I think pastors are allowed to go to the altar. I don't know, but no one said I can't. So if I can't, then don't tell me till later. But, but I, I am hungry for an outpouring of the move of God. And you know what? This is not so we get all clean and perfect and nice and neat and we're so proud of how pure we are. This will change who we reach out there. As a friend said last night in his prayer, God, break us for the things that break your heart. And God needs to do some breaking in me and in you today. So God's told me I've said enough, probably too many things. But let's just seek him right now. You get in the position that helps you pray and cry out to God. And let's do that together.